0: Together, we're
2: two scientists who explore the answers to these questions and many, many more in our new podcast, Mystery Mystery of Everything.
0: Everything. Available everywhere you get your podcasts.
1: Monster House presents.
2: Karen Stolzno's new book, Fisher's Ghost and Other Stories, is out now, just in time for Halloween. From Monster Talks co-host comes this anthology of supernatural short fiction. The characters within these pages include lovelorn ghosts, restless spirits, deceptive demons, and deeply flawed humans. Their tales all told with a twist. These unsettling stories are guaranteed to give you nightmares. Fisher's Ghost and other stories is available for ebook and in paperback from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and other online booksellers. Monster Talk is an independent podcast production of Monster House, LLC. You can show your support by subscribing to our ad-free extended episodes at patreon.com forward slash monster talk. We want to grow our Monster Talk audience, and the easiest way to accomplish that is for listeners to leave us five-star reviews on iTunes. Positive reviews have a huge impact and only take a moment. Welcome to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith.
0: And I'm Karen Stoltzner.
2: This is part two of our two-part coverage of Australia's Fisher's Ghost. In part one, we looked at the story of Frederick Fisher. Convicted of a white-collar crime, Fisher was transported to Australia as a prisoner, but was turning his life around by becoming a parolee, a landowner, and seemed to be on a path to financial stability and respectability when he suddenly disappeared. Last week we heard how his disappearance took a sinister flavor after a citizen named John Farley reported seeing Fisher's ghost sitting on a bridge rail. Suspicion quickly turned to George Worrell, another parolee who seemed positioned to gain financially if something happened to Fisher. Ultimately, it turned out that the body of Fisher was found in a shallow grave and Worrell was found guilty and sentenced to hang for the crime. On the gibbet, Worrell confessed to the killing, but claimed it had been an accident. With Worrell executed and Fisher buried, that might have been the end of the story, but instead, the legend grew, and now, nearly two centuries later, a regular multi-day festival is held in the town where this all took place. And that's where we pick up our story.
0: Monster
2: dog. Well, so, did the ghost part of the story have any bearing on the actual prosecution?
0: It didn't, no. So it wouldn't have been accepted as evidence. So it wasn't told in court, but that's exactly where I'm headed to. Oh, okay. Talking about the ghost and, you know, was there a ghost? Because we know that Fred Fisher's real, but it seems like the ghost part or the ghost story is the legend part of all of this.
1: Because, oh. uh,
0: yeah, I mean, it's it's an urban urban legend that uh, there's a ghost story, but certainly true that Fred Fisher... Existed.
2: I'm guessing because you haven't told me this, so where this is all I'll, I'll be discovering this at the same time. The listeners, are, did you discover that there's no documentation of the ghost around the time of the murder and that it shows up much later? Or is it, or, or how did that play out? How did you come to this conclusion?
0: Well, another interesting question, uh, another part that I was going to get to pretty soon. Okay, sorry. <laughs> No, no, no. The the good questions. I guess I'll just go through these things in order and we'll, we'll certainly get to that. So it was John Farley's ghost sighting that ultimately led the tracker and the police to find Fisher's body near the creek. And I'm surprised, too, that this didn't make Farley a suspect because he really directed them to ultimately find the body. So the ghost story was critical to the idea that Fisher was murdered. However, The Sun also reported that several of Fisher's connections in Sydney were already quite suspicious of Worrell, especially when he started selling off Fisher's belongings and apparently he tried to uh, access his deed to his land as well. So he was really leaving this trail. But I think the question here is, did John Farley truly believe that he'd seen Fisher's ghost? And my digging into this has come up with, I think, some interesting information. Uh, So years after Farley's own death, his wife, Margaret, came forward and she tells a really interesting story. So she says that her husband knew the intimate details of the murder, but he was afraid to openly inform the police because he was an ex-convict as well. So he invented the story about the ghost to lead the police straight to Fisher's murderer. Ah. So perhaps there was no ghost sighting at all. He just concocted this but again you've got to take into consideration that he might have been drinking uh, I mean this could have even been a, a grief hallucination if he did see something because for the rest of his life he maintained that he had seen a ghost so uh, who knows what he said to his wife but she maintains that he never saw a ghost at all but he said for the rest of his life that he did and I this, uh, if he didn't then he was just trying to protect himself because he didn't want to well, uh, it, go back to being a convict either yeah
2: and it, but it is amazing how sometimes uh, if you tell a little lie or even a big lie you get stuck in it and you just have to keep defending it and it becomes easier to just no matter what say the lie is true it's like i mean like one day you just say whoops i'm straight and you get married and the next thing you know no no yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah well he, he definitely stuck to his guns for the, the rest of his life and uh, again, there's just conflicting information. So it's it's really difficult to know exactly who thought they saw what. But uh, so you asked me if uh, the story was documented at the time, if anyone spoke about the, the ghost story in court. So no one did. However, I mean, we usually find with stories like this that it, the first reference in a book comes maybe 100 years later. And oh, wow. Or even later than that. Yeah. So, uh, oh no, 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 not in this case. Okay. Uh, yeah. I'm saying in other stories that, that you and I have talked about.
2: Yes. Uh, you know, yes sometimes yes. there's no reference. Sometimes there's a the full century before the ghost shows up. Y-
0: yes, but it, in this case, um, there was a, the earliest known reference uh, to the ghost, or written reference to the ghost, was only about 10 years later. So that, that's pretty early. It is. So this was made by uh, Thomas Robinson, and he was involved in the case. So he was friends with Farley. He knew everyone who was involved. And he wrote about a strange occurrence. And that those were his, his words, strange occurrence. And he repeated Farley's testimony, the ghost sighting. So this is his testimony. He said, It sat upon the rail at the bridge over the creek in Queen Street, it looked like dried leather. It beckoned to him and pointed backwards. Here he is supporting that idea of the ghost of the ghost sighting. But at the same time, he noted that Farley had been drinking very heavily. So perhaps he did think he saw something and that was because he'd been drinking or perhaps he did see something because it was a grief hallucination. It's just really impossible to know at this point.
2: I know sometimes people do see hallucinations, but man, a lot of the explanation skeptics throw at ghost stories is, well, they were drinking, but I mean, I don't, I mean, Mm. I don't want to brag, but, I've had a drink or two. <laughs> like, like, I and I know it's possible to get like, you know, a little confused about what's going on, but wow, a full blown ghost hallucination? That I I it's like the, the Kentucky Goblins thing. It's like, you know, throwing out the idea that when people drink mm-hmm. they, you know you ever been to a bar? You ever see people struggling like to deal with all the hallucinations? No, because it's not that common. I don't know why it's such <laughs> Like, I went to go drink with the boys, but then the ghost ruined the game, you know?
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I guess it's just because these people are in an altered state. Yeah. And so I know that, uh, you know, Matt, my husband, uh, for new listeners, uh, many years ago, he did an overnight investigation and he was severely sleep deprived. We're talking days because of this investigation. And uh, he did believe at one point that he saw the ghost of a woman this was i think in a church in colorado springs and he thought he saw a a woman the ghost of a woman walk past in period dress Mm. so he immediately recognized it as a hallucination that it was because he hadn't had enough sleep and he'd been eating bad food so he had a whole cocktail of things going on there. You had not
2: been drinking, though. He's, he's got the full Scrooge explanation lying up.
1: Why do you doubt your senses? Because the littlest thing can affect them. The slight disorder of the stomach can
2: make them cheat. You may be an undigested bit of beef, a lot of mustard, a crumb of cheese, a fragment of underdone potato. There's more of gravy
1: than of grave about you, whatever you are. <laughs>
0: I've certainly been to uh, investigations with uh, with people who are believers, and they, they they go drinking, they have a lot to drink, and uh, and then claim to see things.
2: Yeah, uh, sleep deprivation can definitely give you weird experiences, including sleep paralysis. So, yeah, yeah, I, I agree with. Oh yeah, th- can that do pers- things to your eyes? Yeah, yeah, I. Very much in support of sleep deprivation as a gateway to having really uncomfortable experiences,
0: <laughs> or, or paranormal experiences. But I think it was one of those things out of the corner of his eye as well. But he automatically recognized it for what it was. And but I think that uh, I mean it's really pointing to uh, Farley having been involved somehow, not with the the murder itself but just knowing the details there's one one story that says that he had followed Worrell home uh and had watched Worrell and fisher together and having an argument and so he witnessed something it seems to be this, the case and he was the, just protecting yeah
2: th- this reminds me of the case of the I, I'm, I'm gonna mess this up but it's the i always think of it as the murder in the barn the ghost barn where the uh, mm-hmm. the woman reports seeing the ghost of the murdered victim. And then it turns out that actually she had a lot more information about what had happened but wasn't telling it, you know. And so that becomes yes. – that th- those things – they certainly – and there's, there's at least a modern case I can think of too where someone reported a ghost. And it turns out that that was um, probably they had seen where the body was being disposed and didn't want the – murderers to come after them kind of thing. Um, But uh,
0: yes. Yeah. 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 Good good cover up. Yeah. Yeah. If you believe in that too. Well, there's enough
2: Scooby doo out there, you know?
0: (laughs) (laughs) So whether Farley thought that he saw Fisher's ghost or not, to this day, there are people who still claim to see the ghost and they see the ghost sitting on, uh, sitting where the bridge once was, the bridge is not there anymore. And uh, some stories also say that the ghost was sitting on a fence, not a bridge. So that's kind of hard to to track down. But there are uh, people who still live in in Campbelltown and they, uh, or people who live in Campbelltown, might still blame Fred's spirit for misfortune and things that go wrong, usually just tongue in cheek. But there was, I read of a story of a uh, play that was being held locally and the lights went out and someone said, oh, come on, Fred, stop playing around with us and (laughs) then the lights immediately came back on again so just that kind of thing but yeah there, there are uh theories that george Morrill wasn't the only person that was responsible for fisher's death and that he'd had some kind of help and for that reason they think that fisher is unavenged for his murder and that's why he still appears to people today because he has unfinished business and we've often heard about these kinds of ghosts that have unfinished business and that's why they keep coming back
2: I hope that's not a real fame that keeps you tethered here because, good Lord, I expect no matter when I die, there's going to be a big pile of unfinished business. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I've always got unfinished business with people. Mm-hmm. But uh, Fisher Fisher apparently is very honoured by the annual festival that's held in his name. So oh. that's what people, some people believe. <laughs> so I want to talk just a little bit more about uh, – today and uh, campbell town today so in the past it was a remote rural outpost, uh, outpost but today it has a really large population it's on the outskirts of sydney which is just encroaching on all the surrounding towns and cities and getting ever bigger but uh, as for the bridge you know, where is the bridge well it's no longer there and so for people who are there or people who want to go legend tripping the location is best described as near the roundabout in between the southern end of Queen Street and the Campbelltown Arts Centre. So it's near a park, Koshigaya Koshigaya Park, and this area is known as Fisher's Ghost Creek, and there used to be a sign there saying that as well. And the spot where Fisher's Ghost pointed to is where Hurley Street crosses the dry path of the creek. And so if you want to track down these places, uh, some people believe that the... Local pub that Farley ran into to report the ghost sighting was a place called Patrick's Inn, Patrick's Inn, but Campbelltown City historians say it was the Harrow Inn. So there are, there were, and lot, and are still a lot of pubs in this area, and uh, the Harrow Inn was actually known for other ghostly experiences too. So people claim to hear uh, mysterious footsteps and lights.
2: I've heard a lot of people say. Uh, and you almost like an idiom they talk about having an, a heroin experience. And I guess that's what they're talking about.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. Indeed, it does sound like that. In fact, I thought that too when I first <laughs> read about it. But this place, it was. Uh, I think it later became a general store, and so it's it was demolished in the 1950s.
1: Some people
0: enjoy the waves or whatever uh, crashing, and I enjoy listening to a quantum
1: physics audiobook. I do think there are many things in the world
2: that we just don't understand yeah. and probably won't understand. That's our yeah. whole show. <laughs> so join us every Wednesday on all major podcast platforms, and find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at Chinwag Pod and WagOn. We've got a podcast recommendation I think will be really fun and are useful for Monster Talk listeners. I Know Dino, the Big Dinosaur Podcast.
1: Studying
0: dinosaurs can teach us about the prehistoric world, but also the world of today. For example, migration patterns of dinosaur lineages can tell us about the Earth's changing continents.
2: Climate models of dinosaur ecosystems help us understand global
0: warming. Studying dinosaur diets can help show the link between plant and animal evolution.
2: Talk about paleo. Hmm. In many dinosaur injuries, <laughs> paleopathologies are the first known occurrences of diseases.
0: A new episode of I Know Dino comes out every week with new dinosaur discoveries you won't hear about anywhere else. You can find I Know Dino on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: So you were talking about like the difficulty in finding these spots if you went legend tripping, but. Are you going to be discussed? Like, if you go to the festival, which seems to like be a long running thing, um, I do they take you on tours of those locations and kind of point them out, or how? Do, or do you know what? Like, is that part of the process?
0: I don't think it is, but this, there are certainly a lot of legend trippers. Uh, there, as I'm saying, there's a lot of information with the local town historians about these places uh, where everything's located, and so I think people go and do their own um, own research and. Uh, you know, go on site and, and check things out. But at the, the festival, I don't believe that they do a tour. Maybe they do. I really have to go and attend someday, but uh, I'm not sure that they do because the, the festival is just so large, uh, takes up uh, such a large area in Campbelltown. I don't think that they um necessarily do that, but it's 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 a big thing. It lasts for 10 days.
2: Wow. Wow. It's a really
0: long festival and it's but- an annual festival, yeah.
2: Wow. I don't know if
0: there's anything quite like that here that lasts almost two weeks.
2: It, it, we're talking strictly oh. non-religious paranormal. Obviously, there's religious festivals that last that long. But golly, that's that's amazing.
0: Oh, yeah. I guess it's about a lot more than just a, a ghost story. It's also about bringing the community together and celebrating Campbelltown's folklore and history and people. So, yeah, it's it's become a lot more and the festival like American ones too. There's music and a parade and competitions and fireworks. So yeah, it's certainly become about more than just the story.
2: I'm looking at the website. So there's pictures of people in a, in the parade, you know, dresses, ghost pirates and that sort of thing. That's nifty.
0: Yeah. People yeah have a lot of fun there, um, but just a little bit more information about the, um, the, the locations of all of these incidents. So George Worrell's house was located where the town hall is today. So this is pretty central to that town where where everything happened. And the land that Fisher owned is now part of a very large shopping mall. And the site where Warrell buried Fisher's body has been located as the place where Fisher's Ghost Creek runs under a railway line. So you can check out all of these places, but if you want to go to see Fisher's grave, it's actually unmarked. So despite his wealth, no one had ever provided him with a headstone. And uh, I've looked into burial records and they prove that he was definitely buried there in St. Peter's Church Cemetery. And his grave is also listed on findagrave.com, but no one knows where the exact location is.
2: Yeah, I so saw that. Yeah. It's
0: difficult to find. But the story has just had a huge cultural impact over the years and it's inspired movies and music. There's even an opera about it. <laughs> And poetry, too, there's an anonymous poem called The Spirit of the Creek. So I think these are the kinds of things that really uh, spread the, the story over the years. And in a fun bit of trivia, too, the story of Fisher's Ghost was documented by none other than Charles Dickens in his 1855 book, Household Words. So the story really spread far and wide.
2: Ooh, and that's also um, kind of a uh, preamble because I think we're going to be discussing Dickens again pretty soon.
0: Yes we will. We will. That's going kind of, that's looking forward to that. Yep. Very know. exciting. So anyway, that's the infamous legend of Fisher's ghost and if I may make a mention to um, of my my new book. Oh. So this is just one big plug for my book. <laughs> <laughs> so if you want to read a fictionalized account of the events, if you want to check out uh, my collection of short fiction so it's called Fisher's Ghost and Other Stories, and it's available now for a Kindle and paperback. So just in time for Halloween. Well, quick
2: question. Okay, so uh, wh- what do you think? You've looked at all this. You've written a short story about it. You've uh, examined the evidence, gone back to primary sources where possible. What do you think? Is the mm-hmm. um, is the ghost an authentic ghost, or is it just uh, a, a ghost story that's a useful tool, or, uh, like Fisher, are you on the fence about it?
0: <laughs> <laughs> and that was your plug for your pun. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, no, that is... If you I, are I,
0: being genuine about the...
2: It is a real question, but I am you also are being, being genuine
0: a, about the
1: question. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it's just... It's so difficult to peel back all the layers of this legend and... You just have these conflicting stories. I mean, you have Farley claiming that he saw the ghost up until his own death. But then you have his wife coming forward, his widow, and saying, no, he never saw a ghost. I mean, I'm inclined, just being a skeptic, I'm inclined to believe that that was true and that he was covering his own backside, didn't want to get into trouble. He was an ex-convict. But he, I guess this was really weighing on him what he saw or what he knew and that he wanted to help his friend and he wanted the truth to be out there. But at the same time, he didn't want to, to get into tr- trouble himself to be implicated in some way. So it really does seem to me as though uh, he made up the ghost story.
2: The story about the Aboriginal tracker, like finding something icky and saying it was white men's fat.
0: And then eating it. <laughs> yeah. That that seems, that, does that seem
2: made up to you it it feels made up for me but I'm not from Australia I don't I mean like not the part where someone would hire a a tracker to help but the part where it's like they would do something that uh Europeans would find disgusting like that seems like more like a construct to me but I I don't know what your thoughts are on that
0: I don't know that quote is widely repeated in the documentation so uh I mean there are a few variations on it as well but that is apparently what was said, according to all the the documents out there, and that's just really hard to know because uh, going back to that time, certainly now, if you think about terms like uh, white fella or, or black fella, um, you know they they come across as as a lot more insulting today. But at that time, I think that it's likely something that uh, potentially might have been said, and it might have been part of. The, the track is shtick as well. Um, I just it's really impossible to know if that was said or not. But it's I think uh, if you just look at the the language and um, history in Australia, I think there's a a possibility that it did happen that way. But it's certainly just widely repeated that that's what he said.
2: Yeah. Oh, that the the language. It reminds me. I I, I watched. I think last year. I hadn't really watched since the '80s. I watched Crocodile Dundee, and it's like. I remember loving that movie in the 80s. Oh, then you
0: know everything. (laughs)
2: Well, no, I just remember how, like, it's super cringy. Like, it's like, oh, my gosh, none of this aged very well at all. Like, at all.
0: (laughs) Very true. And I think the same can be said for a lot of pop culture (laughs) going back that far. But, uh, I mean, it's, yeah, just it's a part of the fabric of the story now, whether it it happened or not.
2: Yeah. Uh, And,
0: you know, there were a lot, of certainly a lot of tensions between indigenous people and, settlers and uh there were you know in many instances there wouldn't have been much contact between uh white people and indigenous people and then in other ways you there are historical stories of uh aboriginal people becoming important members of uh of white society and getting involved in politics and uh really i think trying to help uh white people to assimilate into the the country because the land was just very difficult. Um, so, you know, I think that, uh, it's very possible that, uh, these Aboriginal trackers did exist in this, in the story and that, uh, they did work together, um, to, to find Fisher. Uh, but it, I couldn't see much, uh, documentation about this person other than his name was Gilbert or Namet. In A M U T in other uh, other stories, so uh, it's just really difficult to tell what's fact and what's fiction here. Outside of the ghost being fiction.
2: Gotcha. Well, this is really fascinating, and it, it kind of fits in very nicely with our October ghost theme. And then these 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 questions fit really nicely with our previous discussion around uh, the ghost tourism uh, because. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think it's keeping on topic.
2: Well, well it's like it's almost like our whole October has been on point, right?
0: <laughs> it has, but yeah, it's certainly uh, just such an important ghost story to Australia. As I said, the Australia's first ghost story, and uh, it's certainly a, a fun one to to retell around Halloween. Well, I'm
2: excited that you've managed to get all your ghost stories anthologized into a single book, or not necessarily ghost stories, but weird tales, if you will, because they, they, they all they all remind me of sort of Twilight Zone kind of riffs on this material. And that's so.
0: high praise. I really, really appreciate that. And, uh, yeah, I've had lots of good feedback about the stories. And so Fisher's Ghost, that is the, the free story in this anthology, or it's, the, it's a new story. Uh, that you can't buy individually. And I've been meaning to compile these into an anthology for years now, and I wanted to do it around Halloween. And previous years I've just had lots of other things going on, so this was the first opportunity really to to um, put together this collection. And I'm just really excited about it. Cool. You know, I'm a big fan of uh, short stories at Somerset Maugham and de uh, Maupassant, and a lot of older authors, Roald Dahl. And uh so I've just always enjoyed that type of fiction.
2: Me too.
0: It's just something quick that you can read over a coffee or a glass of wine and uh not have to to get too invested in like a novel.
2: <laughs> yeah. It's a short on time. I, I mean I've got lots of novels, but boy howdy do I have a lot of anthologies of ghost stories and, and that kind of thing. So Uh, I I was just telling Sophie that I wanted to put together a little project uh, where I – Sophie's my daughter, for listeners who don't know her. But uh, I want to do a project where I basically I catalog all the short stories that I have in these anthologies because sometimes I'll go, that sounds like a cool story. Do I need to go buy a new book or do I already own it, Mm -hmm. just just don't recall? So it would be good to have that as a piece of personal reference because I'm trying to cut down on the number of books I accidentally duplicate stuff with, you know, so –
0: Oh, yeah, it always helps the authors anyway.
2: It does. You know, Unless and I like, I like having them. It
0: helps their estates.
2: Well, <laughs> and then there's the weird when cases you, like when Lovecraft. When you find the time or, to you know, do that. Who knows? Yeah, exactly. When I find the right. time. Right. Right. Again, I'll be back as a ghost to continue my unfinished business.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Add to the list. <laughs> exactly.
2: Well, thanks for sharing all this research, Karen. I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you for sharing all this. And uh, links on the show notes.
0: Thank you. Happy Halloween, everyone.
2: Like she said, happy Halloween from Monster Talk. We hope you have a safe and happy holiday. Monster Talk. You've been listening to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith.
0: And I'm Karen Stoltzner.
2: You just heard an interview with Dr. John Gutowski discussing the legendary giant turtle of Cherubusco, Indiana, and how recurring festivals help create a sense of community identity, as well as preserving and embellishing the monster stories often at the heart of such events. Check the show notes to links to John's research, as well as to other festivals and creatures discussed within this episode.
1: Hi, Monster Talk listeners. I am Laura Krantz. I've been on this show a few times to talk about my podcast, Wild Thing. And now I'm here to talk to you about my book. It's called The Search for Sasquatch. So a little bit of background for those of you who don't know me. I'm a journalist. I've been a journalist for about 15 years now. And for a good chunk of that, I worked at National Public Radio in Washington, D.C. and L.A. And while I was living in D.C., I was reading The Washington Post and there was this article about a guy named Grover Krantz. Same last name. And it talked about how he'd been a tenured professor of anthropology at Washington State University, how he had waded into the big debates about human evolution, and how he was probably most well-known for driving around the Pacific Northwest with a spotlight and a rifle searching for Sasquatch. At that point, I'd only thought of Bigfoot as a big myth. But it turns out Grover was considered the country's preeminent academic expert on Bigfoot. And I thought, okay, if a bona fide scientist thought it might be real maybe there's more to this than I thought. Grover was very much a man of science, but he was also a man of Bigfoot. And I wondered if it was possible to be both of those things. So with that in mind, I decided to apply my journalism skills to the exploration of Bigfoot. I would walk in Grover's footsteps and see what we knew, what the science was, what the facts were, what we had discovered, Where would Bigfoot fit in the evolutionary tree if he existed? All of this was the foundation for the first season of my podcast, Wild Thing. What do we know about Bigfoot? And even if it's not real, why do we want to believe? I talked to scientists and Squatchers. I heard from Native Americans about stories that had been passed down for generations. Now, the podcast was never aimed at kids. There's a little bit of swearing. So I was incredibly surprised when I started to get letters from parents who were listening with their kids and teachers who were using elements of the podcast in their classroom to talk about evolution, DNA analysis, the scientific method. And what I realized is this idea was ripe for a nonfiction kids' book. So that's how the search for Sasquatch came to be. It's a way to talk about the scientific method and evidence and science ideas, but also let kids explore fun and interesting ideas and the mystery of Bigfoot, which I think appeals to a lot of us. The book is available through Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, and at a lot of independent booksellers. And if you can't find it at your independent bookstore, please feel free to ask them to carry it. Also, if you enjoy The Melodious Sounds of My Voice, it's available as an audiobook, and I'm the narrator. If you want more information, go to wildthingpodcast.com, and there's a lot more details there about the book and where to find it. Thanks so much to Blake and Karen for having me on Monster Talk so many times to talk about my various projects, and keep listening to the show. It's a good one. Thank you.
2: Monster Talk's a proud member of the Airwave Media Podcast Network, home of such shows as Investing for Beginners, My History Can Beat Up Your Politics, and Food with Mark Bittman. If you'd like to advertise on this show, contact sales at advertisecast.com. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Monster Talk. And please share our show on your favorite social media platforms. Monster Talk's theme music is by Peach Stealing Monkeys. Thank you so much for making Monster Talk part of your listening life.
1: been a Monster
0: House presentation.